Teachings that do not speak of pain have no meaning, because humankind cannot gain anything without first giving something in return. In alchemy, to obtain something, something of equal value must be lost. This is Equivalent Exchange. Welcome to Equivalent Exchange, a podcast about Fullmetal Alchemists by Hiromu Arakawa. I'm Kayla. I'm Ellen. And I'm Kazum. Today we're going to be discussing chapters 29, 30, and 31. Yay! I was say no, no yay. <laughs> I was gonna, I was distracted because Mike texted me. Omg, oh. the gravy. <laughs> Is it good or bad? <laughs> he, I think it tastes good. That's why I was confused though. That's why I didn't say anything. I was like, oh, I should say something. Mm. <laughs> anyway, good. We're off to a good start. No off sec- non sequiturs at all. <laughs> this is technically our Christmas episode, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know what? This chapter was full of surprises. Yeah. So I guess it's a good Christmas present. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like you like you like twists? I got your twists for Christmas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Turns. <laughs> cliffhangers. Reveals. Yeah. I'm still confused, so much <laughs> like any family gathering at the holidays. <laughs> <laughs> I left more confused and disturbed than ever. <laughs> well, good. Maybe we should just dig right into it because we have yeah. three chapters to cover. Yeah, yeah, three to cover yeah, today. Do. So, yep. So we'll go into our uh, summary and then uh, talk about all this, uh, yeah. all this shit. I was gonna say maybe I should put jingle bells in the background or something <laughs> the entire time, <laughs> just on repeat. The night, the day after Christmas, <laughs> and all through Mestris. <laughs> All the creatures were stirring <laughs> as they died. Yeah. <laughs> and it was horrifying. <laughs> All the homunculi were gathered by the vat of goo with care, with the hopes that King Bradley soon would be there. <laughs> Good. <laughs> anyway, shall we start? <laughs> yes. So chapter 29 opens with the military raid on Devil's Nest well underway. Glass and bullets fly as members of Greed's gang try to stay alive. Ulchi, the crocodile man, clutches at his wounded side and snarls that he'll never go back to the lab before a soldier coolly executes him and declares basement level 1 secured. The soldiers face a little more resistance as they descend to level 2, though, as Dolcetto hides in the rafters ready to strike. He takes down two soldiers in rapid succession before getting distracted seeking approval for actually winning for once. Mm -hmm. Luckily, Roa breaks through the wall with his sledgehammer to save him from the next attack. He lets Dolcetto and the other member of their group know that the top level is completely overrun and that the exit is blocked. We've got to protect this level with our lives until Greed gets here, he says. Dolcetto dryly promises not to die until then. Speaking of Greed, Ed isn't doing so hot against him now that he's gone full shield mode. He slumped limply against the wall, a streak of blood tracking how he fell and more blood dripping from his face. The outer panel of his automobile arm has been fully ripped off, leaving the inner wiring exposed. Are you dead yet? Greed asks. Ed spits out a mouthful of blood and pushes himself agonizingly to his feet. That's the spirit, Greed says. Kids should be full of energy. Ed tries another futile strike, which only succeeds in further damaging his automail, and Greed grabs him by the head and forcefully throws him into a stack of crates against the wall in retaliation. He then walks over and picks him up out of the wreckage by the collar, asking if he's ready to tell him about soul transmutation yet. Thanks, Ed mutters, to Greed's confusion. I lost some of the blood that had rushed to my head. Now I can think more clearly. He flexes his badly damaged arm and remarks on how amazing his mechanic is. Can you believe my hand still works after all this? He then growls in sudden furious determination, slams his hands together, and performs some kind of alchemy on Greed's arm. Greed drops him and clutches at his arm, but he's confused at the lack of any apparent changes. 
He swings a fist at Ed, yelling at him to just stay down. Ed transmutes spikes out of the knuckles of his automail and meets Greed's punch directly with his own. Elsewhere, there's another meeting of fists as Roa is facing off with none other than Major Armstrong. His Armstrong family ultimate blocking technique turns Roa's hammer into a statue of Armstrong to Roa's mild confusion, and Roa decides that his ordinary methods won't work for this fight. He drops his hammer and shrugs off his old military coat, and then we get to see Roa's chimera side as his muscles bulge, his nails turn to claws, and horns protrude from his head. He's a Lionel. <laughs> <laughs> Just missing those uh, legs from his butt. <laughs> It's only part Lionel, jeez. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> Good lord, Armstrong says as he watches the transformation, then barely ducks below a punch from Roa that shatters the concrete wall behind him. The two brawl viciously, Roa slamming Armstrong into the floor and then dragging him across the wall before he can get his feet under him, and then Armstrong retaliating with a brutal series of punches when he regains his balance. They break off for a minute to recover, and each praises the other as a worthy opponent. Roa also reveals that he recognizes Armstrong personally. I was also a soldier in the Shvalan extermination campaign, he says. We were once allies, Armstrong replies. All the more reason to end this. I don't enjoy senseless killing. Surrender. But Roa says he can't do that. More soldiers arrive to back Armstrong up. They train their guns on Roa and yell for Armstrong to step aside so they can take their shot. Armstrong doesn't budge, continuing to try and talk Roa into surrender. You're throwing your life away, he warns him. Fear King Bradley is in this very raid. This shocks Roa and the others, and they quickly realize this must mean the military is here to wipe them out, and that everyone upstairs is probably already dead. Dolcetto convinces Roa that they're outmatched here, and starts to get them headed toward the emergency exit. But a sword emerges from the shadows before he can move, piercing Dolcetto right through the gut. Bradley has joined the fight. Dolcetto falls, and Bradley easily slices through Roa and the other gang member as they try to retaliate. My orders were to kill everyone but the targets I specified, he says to Armstrong as he calmly strides away from the carnage. Stop showing mercy to the enemy. That's why you're never promoted. Armstrong looks disturbed, but does not move. Back with Ed and Greed, Ed's punch had surprisingly had an impact. The shield over Greed's hand is shattered away, leaving raw flesh underneath, which the spikes on Ed's automail have pierced. Greed pulls back, clutching at his arm, and looks puzzled as he heals and then regenerates his shield. He gouges his nails into nearby stone to test the hardness. Good as new, he says, but how'd you do it? Ed merely beckons him back into the fight. Greed lunges forward, and Ed dodges away and repeats his alchemical attack on Greed's chest this time, again with no obvious effect. He follows it up by transmuting spikes out of the ground, which rise up and pierce right through Greed's body where he struck. Greed falls to the floor with a howl, bleeding heavily. What did you do to my shield? He demands. This time Ed obliges him with an explanation. It was easy enough once I thought about it. You can't make something out of nothing. Therefore, your shield is being created from something. You told me yourself that you're created from the same biological materials as humans. And I thought, what's an element in the body that could become a shield that's stronger than steel? The substance that makes up one third of our bodies, carbon. The hardness of carbon varies depending on how the atoms are combined. For example, compare the lead from a pencil with a diamond. Once I understand the chemistry I work, it's a simple matter of alchemy. Greed laughs. You're good. This is more fun than I thought. He lunges again, but Ed catches his arm and repeats his new trick. And I just discovered one more thing, Ed adds as he attacks. You can't harden your body and regenerate at the same time. Greed takes stock of the chain situation he finds himself in, then laughs again. I thought you were just a hot-headed brat, but I guess I was wrong, he says. I like you, kid but I don't think I want to fight you anymore. As if on cue, soldiers burst into the room and start firing. Ed and Greed both jump away, and Greed gleefully takes advantage of the chaos to run off. Ed tries to pursue him, but he's held back by the soldiers, following their orders to rescue him. I don't need to be rescued. There's something I have to ask him, he yells as Greed disappears. Let me go. Down in the sewers under Devil's Nest, Al is struggling against both his chains and the resistance of Martel inside his armor to make very slow progress crawling away. 
Greed appears out of the shadows in front of them, and Martle pops her head out to talk to him. There was a lot of commotion up above, she says. Roa left us here and went back. Yeah, things got kind of out of hand, Greed understates. We've got to get out of here. That's not going to happen, Fuhrer Bradley says from behind Greed. Greed doesn't even recognize him at first, and then he calmly asks what the most important man in the country is doing here. How old are you? Bradley asks, to Greed's confusion. I'll be 60 this year. When you get old, your body doesn't move the way you want it to, so I just want to get this tiresome job done and go home. Greed smirks and tells him he should retire, lifting his hand and starting to armor himself, but Bradley slices the entire hand clean off before he can get very far with it. Greed clutches at his arm and steps back as he starts to regenerate. The old man's got spunk, he says, but he actually looks nervous now. And rightly so, because Bradley moves incredibly fast, keeping up the pressure as he pierces through one of Greed's legs and then cuts off the other arm. Greed has no time to heal or create his armor. He lashes out to attack instead, but only manages to cut the strap of Bradley's eye patch before two swords plunge through his throat and pin him back against the wall. You know, Bradley begins conversationally, I don't have your ultimate shield, or the ultimate spear that can cut through anything. So you're probably wondering how I distinguished myself on the field of battle with bullets whizzing all around me. Can you guess? He leans in close as Greed shakes and chokes on his own blood. The scarred eye that was beneath the patch slowly opens, and where the pupil would be, there is instead an Ouroboros symbol. Just as you have the ultimate shield, he says, I have the ultimate eye. So, Greed, how many times do I have to kill you for you to stay dead? <gasps> Gasp. <laughs> I definitely didn't read this part or see this, remember this from the first, like, any of the anime that I watched before, so I was like, <gasps> when I read it. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> it's a good reveal. It's oh, yeah. really good. Mm -hmm. all, all of this next part was insane. Actually, I'm sure it's going to get even crazier, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Chapter 30 opens back above ground, where townspeople have started to notice the commotion at Devil's Nest and crowd around the guarded entrance. Wizard Man Beto frets nearby that the soldiers have come to hunt down the chimeras, and he worries if Greed is okay. Below, a pair of soldiers walk through the wreckage and corpses that Bradley has left in his wake. They remark that neither side of the fight seem human. As if to prove that point, Roa and Dolcetto suddenly rise from the ground like they're rising from the dead. Badly injured and obviously in a lot of pain, they still have the strength to dispatch the two soldiers caught by surprise. They pause to gather themselves, then weakly begin to limp off after their master, dripping blood as they go. In the sewers, Al and Marta listen to the sounds of fighting and wait. She asks what's going on, but Al says it's too dark to see. Suddenly, the noise stops. Al looks around as footsteps echo instead, and then Greed emerges from the shadows, looking grim. Before he gets much closer, the tip of a sword blooms from his throat in a spray of blood, and Bradley steps out behind him as he falls. Martel screams for Greed and starts to leave Al's armor, but Al quickly puts his hands on top of his head and pushes her back out of sight. Stay down! You'll be killed, he says, The Martel keeps yelling for him to let her go. Bradley pulls his sword from Greed's neck and tells him that he's died 15 times already. How many times will it take for you to stay dead, hmm? he asks, and Greed weakly curses him. Ah, crap. It would have been a lot easier if we just died back there, huh, Roa? Bradley and Greed both look up to see Dolcetto and Roa have arrived on the scene. Roa tells Dolcetto he can still put his tail between his legs and run, but Dolcetto just sighs. I'd love to, but look at my master, he says. This sucks. Why do dogs have to be so loyal? He staggers over to Al and uses his sword to cut the chains around his wrists and ankles. She's still in there, right? He asks. Get her out of here. And Roa smiles and adds, we're counting on you. And then they both turn and launch a final attack on Bradley. They don't stand much of a chance, and glimpses of both men brutally succumbing to Bradley's blade are interspersed with Martel frantically screaming for Al to let her out and fight for her friends while Al steadfastly holds her back, keeping to his promise. In the end, she slumps weakly against the inside of Al's armor, her fists bloody from banging on the metal. Her arms shake as she begs one last time, though her friends have already fallen, and Al quietly refuses, his own arms shaking as well. Greed, having had a moment to recover, stands and approaches Bradley. He's kind of pissed about him killing his people like that. Feeling pity for your pawns, Bradley taunts? How pathetic. Pity? Greed snarls. Do you forget who the hell you're dealing with? 
I'm greed incarnate. Money, women, henchmen, everything. They're my possessions. They're all mine. I won't let you take away what belongs to me. Greed, you grow more pathetic by the minute, Bradley says. And though Greed lunges at him, it's again a futile gesture. Bradley pins him to the ground with four swords plunged through his torso in rapid succession. Don't go anywhere, he says, and calmly walks away. Al, having watched this go down, finally realizes that he should be anywhere but here, but he doesn't get very far before Bradley calls out to him. You're Edward's younger brother, aren't you? He asks with a friendly smile. Are you hurt? Do you need help? Al nervously says that he's fine and that he can find his own way back, and tries again to leave, but within his armor, Martel's despair and rage have boiled over. Al's arm shoots out under her control and grabs Bradley by the throat. Al yells for her to stop, struggling against her, but Martel curses Bradley with furious tears streaming down her face and doesn't back down. Bradley regards this threat coolly, any trace of that friendly smile gone, and then swiftly draws his last sword and plunges it into the gap in Al's armor under his chin. Blood spurts from the seams of the armor and sprays onto Al's blood seal within as Martel falls limply back, and then Al is thrown suddenly back into his memory of his own meeting with the truth after their human transmutation attempt, plunging through that light and shadow and rush of information as his body is taken apart. Al, too, saw the almost angelic figure that they both believed to be their mother at the end of that tunnel, but Al actually managed to reach it. But when he did, it was his own body taking his hand, coming together with a menacing grin while Al faded away with a look of terror. The memory cuts off sharply into darkness. A voice begins to call out for Al to wake up. And he does, all at once, to the sight of a bandaged Ed banging on his armor and frantically calling his name. He immediately notices Ed is covered in blood and worriedly asks why, but he realizes that blood is coming from him. His chest blade has been removed, and a body lies nearby under a white sheet. Armstrong kneels beside Al and gently tells him that they had to open him up to pull Martel out. Al buries his face in his hands. I couldn't help her, he says, voice shaky. Ed tells him it's not his fault, then makes himself smile and suggests they go home. Their teacher is waiting. Hold it. Bradley strides toward them from across the room, soldiers snapping to attention as he passes. I have some questions I need to ask you two first. Did you make any deals with the man with the Ouroboros tattoo? Ed, looking wary, shakes his head and says they did not. Did you share any information with him? Bradley asks. Nothing, Ed says. He didn't ask us anything about military affairs. It's not your military knowledge I'm concerned about. If you made any deals with them or shared any of your expertise, I'll execute you both right now. Around Bradley, soldiers obediently draw their weapons. So I ask you again, did you say anything to those people that might cause problems for my military? Of course not, Ed says, remaining calm. Any more questions? Your steel arm and your brother's armor body. Is there any connection between the two? That one catches Ed off guard. His eyes go wide and he sweats in nervous silence as Bradley stares at him coldly. Then the Fuhrer smiles. You're an honest kid, he says. He turns and orders his men to follow as he leaves, giving Ed a casual wave and telling him to take care of his brother. Later that night, Ed and Al sit outside in the alley behind the butcher shop while Ed scrubs Al's armor clean of its bloodstains. Al is staring off into space, lost in thought, and he explains that he got his memory of losing his body back when Ed asks, but he still didn't learn anything more about human transmutation. I guess we haven't made any progress after all, he says as he snaps his chest plate back on. Ed says that isn't true. Do you remember what happened at the hospital in Central, he asks, the people with the Ouroboros tattoos who were making philosopher's stones. Al does. The Fuhrer said that there was some kind of conspiracy going on in the military and that he wanted to get to the bottom of it. So why did he have to kill them all, Ed points out. If he really wanted to find out what was going on, he should have captured them and made them talk. You're right, Al says. It seems strange that the Fuhrer himself would lead a massive operation against such a small number of people. Ed concludes that everything just doesn't add up, and they should stick closer to the military for a while to see what they can figure out. When that's settled, they tromp inside and loudly announce that they're hungry, and Izumi puts them to work to earn their right to eat. <laughs> Over in Central City, Riza Hawkeye is walking home late at night in civilian clothes, thinking to herself that it's her first day off since her transfer, and all she did with it is go shopping for some essentials. She passes by a dark alley where a pair of glowing eyes shine out from the shadows. A cloaked figure steps up behind her and tells her it's dangerous to be out alone this late and offers to walk her home. 
Thanks for the advice, Risa says coolly, but I'm fine. No need to be coy, lady, the figure says. There's all sorts of dangerous characters in these parts. He draws a long knife from under his cloak, and we see a glimpse of familiar armor before he fully reveals himself, lunging forward in attack while shouting, Like Barry the Chopper! But Reese's reflexes are quick, and she pulls a hidden gun from her shopping bag and immediately fires on Barry, making him drop his blade and stumble back. Barry is surprised and more than a little miffed by this lack of an appropriate terrified reaction from his would-be victim. <laughs> a scary guy like me attacks you with a cleaver and you don't even flinch? That's just wrong, he complains. Fine, I bet this will make you scream. And he reaches up to remove his skull helmet, revealing his empty armor body. Risa is surprised, then immediately shoots him again. <laughs> Barry falls again and frustratedly demands to know why she isn't scared. Because I know someone kind of like you, Risa tells him. Like me? You don't mean Alphonse something or other. You know Alphonse? Risa asks. <laughs> but unfortunately for her, Barry's frustration has turned into admiration, and he's now too distracted to answer her questions. You got moxie, lady, he says. I like strong women. Risa tells him not to change the subject, but there are hearts in Barry's eyes now. I think I'm in love, he says, to Risa's dismayed <laughs> confusion. Across town, Roy is settling into his new office when he gets a phone call from an outside line. Oh, Lieutenant Hawkeye, it's you, he says once he answers. What is it? I thought you had the day off. Risa, standing in a phone booth and keeping the infatuated Barry at bay with one hand, tells Roy that she captured something really weird. It's <laughs> a good way to describe it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> weird, Roy asks uncertainly. A little later, Risa sits outside the phone booth with Barry, firmly forbidding him from chopping anyone up and sighing that she hopes the colonel will hurry. <laughs> She had two guns in, hidden in her bag, just saying. <laughs> I think that's our Hawkeye. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. The whole scene is like, that's our Hawkeye. Yeah. Also, like, that's our Barry. Yeah, it's yeah. like the best <laughs> like, like the best option for who should encounter Barry was Risa. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I like it. I like the way that our car's mind works. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. <laughs> Chapter 31 opens with Roy arriving to meet Risa about her weird capture. He's not super cool with Barry's obvious amorous intentions toward his lieutenant, and he pulls on his flint gloves with an ominous expression, stating that there's going to be fire tonight. <laughs> Risa tells him to calm down, and that the man in question here is Barry the Chopper, a convicted criminal who's supposedly executed, which definitely catches Roy's interest. The group moves to some kind of abandoned warehouse building, and Roy has called in another of his subordinates, Fallman, to help verify Barry's identity. He drills Barry on his known crimes, which he recalls with disturbingly fond detail, with perfect accuracy, even correcting Fallman when he deliberately names an incorrect date. They take that as confirmation that Barry is who he claims to be, and Roy asks him why he's here when he's supposed to have been executed, and why he has an armor body like Alphonse. Barry has some questions of his own first, being interested in the fact that these military folks don't know anything about him being put in the armor. So you don't know anything about Laboratory Number 5 either, do you? He asks, and Roy asks him what he's talking about. That Alphonse guy snuck in there with his bro, Barry explains. That's when I fought him. Roy suddenly remembers when he questioned Armstrong after Hughes' murder, and he mentioned the Elric brothers searching for a legend. The Philosopher's Stone, he thinks. He clenches his fist and orders Barry to tell him more about that night. If you promise not to snitch on me to the guys who made me like this, I'll tell you everything I know, Barry agrees. So Barry tells his tale, and Roy sums up the major points when he's done. Secret lab creating imperfect philosopher's stones with human beings as the main ingredient, building collapse to hide the evidence, military command involved in some way, and two beings called lust and envy, whom Barry describes as succulent and grisly, respectively, to the gang's mild horror. <laughs> Roy asked if Lust and Envy were the ones who transmuted Barry's soul after he was executed, but Barry says that was the researcher's job. Plus, they didn't kill me first, he adds. They sucked my soul from my body while I was still alive and stuck it in this armor. You can't imagine the pain. I wish they had just executed me. Fallman suggests looking into the lab and trying to track down some of the people who worked there, but Barry tells him that's not possible. They were used as ingredients for the stone, he says. It happened just a few days before the building collapsed. Roy takes in that grim fact. How morbidly efficient, he sighs. And Risa wonders if that means the people behind all this don't need to make any more stones. 
Roy looks over his notes and tells Barry he has one more question for him. Did you murder a military officer in a telephone booth a little over a month ago? His expression is deadly serious, and Risa and Fallman exchange a concerned look over his head. It wasn't me, Barry says. Was he cut up? No, Roy says. If you don't know about it, that's fine. Forget it. He stands and tells Fallman he can go, and also recommends that he forget everything he just heard tonight. This is a dangerous bridge to cross. You don't need to put yourself in danger by following me. Fallman considers this. Hmm, that's true, he says. But Colonel, unfortunately, my memory is a little too good. I couldn't forget this even if I wanted to. I'm already in the same boat as you. I might as well ride it with you till the end. If there's anything more I can do, don't hesitate to ask. Roy thanks him, genuinely grateful. Though Fallman might regret his loyalty a little when he immediately tasks him with keeping an eye on serial killer Barry the Chopper while he continues to dig for information at HQ. Roy and Risa leave, with Risa firmly ordering Barry not to chop up Fallman. Barry slings his arm around Fallman, who covers his face with his hand, and tells him he doesn't look like much fun to chop up anyway, so let's be friends. <laughs> it's good. I like it. Fallman regrets his choices immediately. Yeah. Well. <laughs> Somewhere deep, deep underground below Central City, Fear Bradley stands in a darkened chamber surrounded by pipes and wires. Welcome back, Mr. Fear. How was your inspection of the South? Someone asks him. Very productive, he replies. I reassessed the full Malachmus brother, and I believe that he and his teacher might make worthy human sacrifices. And one more thing. I made a rare catch. Above him, greed is suspended by chains, still pinned to the stone floor of the sewer Bradley fought him in, which has been cut out in a not-at-all-symbolic cross shape outlining his body. <laughs> yeah, not at all. <laughs> now there's a blast from the past, says the first voice again, and we see that it is Lust speaking, with Envy and Gluttony sitting on the floor nearby. I haven't seen that face since he bounced from here a century ago. Wake up, Greed. Greed opens his eyes. Well, well, he says, the gang's all here. He trades some barbs with lust and insults gluttony and envy, all with a kind of aggressive familiarity, then asks where Sloth is. You know how he is, always slacking off, Lust says. We have to keep him working. And we see a glimpse of a massive man with an Ouroboros tattoo on the back of his shoulder. He's chained to the ground, and his knuckles bleed as he stares at a rough stone wall in front of him. It's nice to see that some things never change, even after a hundred years, Greed says with a mocking smile. He tilts his head toward the man standing below him. So, what's he doing here? I am Wrath, Bradley says, to Greed's visible shock. After you betrayed us and left this place, Father gave us a new sibling, 60 years ago, Lust explains. But that's Fuhrer Bradley, right? Greed asks. Everyone knows him. He made his name on the battlefield and became the Fuhrer in his 40s. That's right, Lust says. As far as the humans are concerned, he's one of them. The great King Bradley. But actually, he's our sibling, created for the last stage of the plan. A homunculus that ages? How is that possible? Greed demands, and that makes Envy laugh. Nothing is impossible, they say. You were the one who used to say that. Did you forget? Are you getting senile in your old age? Shut the hell up, ugly, Greed snaps. Envy is silent for a moment. What did you call me? They say, veins beginning to pop in their face as an indescribable look of anger forms. Oh yeah, I like that face, Greed says with a vicious grin. Why don't you show your true self, Envy the freak? Envy stands in a feral, hunched posture, alchemical light sparking from their body. Say that again and I'll destroy you. But before any threats can be fulfilled, a new voice calls out. Stop it, all of you. A long-haired, bearded man sits on a throne on a wide stone dais in front of a desk covered in scientific equipment, beakers and flasks and tubes running between them. The large pipes and wires around the room all converge on him and his throne, and he sits reading a book bearing esoteric symbols. Enough of your sibling quarrels, he says. Your father doesn't want to see such ugly behavior. This quiets most of them, but not Greed, who sneers. Hey, Dad, you've been here the whole time? You've gotten a lot older since I saw you last, huh? The man closes his book. Greed, my son to whom I've given a portion of my soul, let me ask you one thing. Why did you betray your loving father? You know that better than anyone, right? Greed replies. Greed, it's in my blood. It's who I am, because you made me that way. 
My greed can't be satisfied if I stay here with you. That's reason enough. Will you stay here and work for me again, my son? No, greed snarls. Never. The man frowns. I see. Then I have no choice. A hidden opening in the floor below Greed slides slowly apart, and a massive vat of boiling liquid emerges. The chains holding Greed suspended creak and clatter as the gears move to lower him down. Greed looks nervous, though he still manages to snark about the cheesiness of his father's dramatic set-piece. When he makes contact with the searing liquid, Greed throws his head back and begins screaming in agony, while his siblings look on dispassionately. But then Greed begins to grin madly. Oh yeah, come on in, brothers and sisters, the water's fine, he shouts, and I'm sure the flames of hell are even hotter. I'll go scout it out for you and see what it's like. Go back to the place where you were born, father says calmly. Go back into my soul, Greed. Fine by me, dad, but don't blame me if you get sick. And Greed goes laughing wildly as his body is fully consumed. Light flashes from the vat and then liquid drains out through a series of pipes winding around the chemistry set in front of father. It travels through the flasks, funneled and decanted, until a small amount of dark-colored liquid drifts into a wine glass. Father takes the glass and holds it up. I propose a toast, he says, to the promised day. And to you, my children, who serve with undying loyalty. Lust, envy, and gluttony all smile as their father drinks the dark liquid. Later, Fear Bradley walks down the covered pathways of his massive home in Central, a stoic, brooding expression on his face. Father, calls a voice from behind him, and a little boy comes running excitedly toward Bradley, an older woman smiling as he follows. Welcome home, father. Bradley turns and smiles warmly. It's good to be back, Salem, he says, and he leans down to ruffle his son's hair affectionately. Salem asks how the South was, and Bradley says he got a lot of work done. His wife chides him gently for continuing to work so hard at his aides, and suggests he step down and let a successor take over so he can enjoy some peace. No, no, I can't retire just yet, Bradley says. Salem eagerly asks for stories from his father, and Bradley tells him that he ran into the full metal alchemist while he was in the South. That really excites Salem. He thinks it's so cool that he became a state alchemist at age 12, and he wants to learn alchemy too someday. Now what do you want to learn that for? His mother asks. I want to get my state license and help father, he says, and then the family laughs happily as they continue down the walkway. That's the end of chapter 31. Okay. It was the most disturbing thing <laughs> oh, in yeah. the whole story so far. Mm -hmm. <laughs> also, I just realized that the the goo is the dip. It's all coming together. I mean, I think listeners of... I don't remember if... I must have not cut it. <laughs> I can't remember if I cut it, but listeners of our previous podcast will know that I was horrified by the dip as a child from... Uh, <laughs> What's that movie called? Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Mm -hmm. mm. It, it's horrifying, so... <laughs> I mean, Greed's kind of a cartoon character, so it all makes sense. He is, especially that face he makes as he's going into the vat. <laughs> into oh, the yeah. dip! <laughs> or he should have made a thumbs up like the Terminator going into yeah. the, like, whatever, liquid metal, I guess. He should have flipped everyone off. <laughs> Died as he was introduced. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> well, I will, uh, before we get into the full discussion, uh, we also run into another uh, side story if we're reading the old <gasps> release. So this one is called The Second Lieutenant Goes to Battle. And it's just a silly little thing of uh, Havoc trying to find a new girlfriend after he's moved to Central. And Armstrong recommends his younger <laughs> sister, which he finds horrifying <laughs> to <laughs> contemplate. <laughs> I found it hilarious to <laughs> yeah. contemplate. Yeah. <laughs> and he meets uh, Armstrong's giant parents. Mm -mm -mm -mm. But his sister's like small and adorable, but still super strong. <laughs> And he asks her out, but she says that Havoc's not her type because she likes strong men like her older brother. <laughs> <laughs> the end. Yeah. It was perfect. Yeah. It's a silly little thing, but it's fun to get like more of uh, Roy's group interacting. And Yeah. Roy was also like, it's to your advantage to yeah. get to know this. Yeah, we learned that family. Uh, Armstrong actually is from a like 
long, wealthy line of Armstrongs. So that have ridiculous <laughs> techniques. Yeah, mm-hmm. like the transmuting stuff into stuff that looks like you techniques. Yes, <laughs> I enjoyed it. The lifting a piano over your head with a noodle arm technique. Yes. <laughs> She likes to play with the piano, not play the piano, <laughs> or whatever. I love that that's her hobby, is picking up pianos. Picking yeah. up pianos. And also, like, um, Armstrong's father has, like, a double mustache and, like, a, du- a beard with, like, double... I don't know how to describe it. It's, like, two swirls on his mustache, and, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. You know what I mean. <laughs> and they all have a little, like, curl of hair. Curls in their hair, yeah. <laughs> it's part of the Armstrong, you know family line or whatever mm-hmm. i don't know it's like, this, it's like this adorable cow look has been passed down the armstrong line for generations <laughs> it's a defining characteristic of the armstrong family <laughs> just like our muscles and tallness i love how it was like even the mom was like super tall or yeah. whatever. Mm-hmm. oh also uh havoc yeah havoc stayed in bed oh, after, yeah. a week after the reaction yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Related to the side stories and related to this chapter, did you notice that Risa was carrying like dog food when she was coming? Yeah, home? I noticed. Mm. That. <laughs> that was cute. So anyway, yeah, so much happened. Oh yeah, yeah. We, we learned a lot. Yeah. We we learned something. <laughs> well, we learned a lot, and then we also have more questions. <laughs> I have mm. a lot of questions. Yeah, I guess we talk about the other stuff first, not the questions. The yeah. things that happened. I think a lot of people uh, died. <laughs> yeah, I know. Let's pour one out for Roa, yeah. Martel, and Dolcetto. Now you don't have to say their names anymore. Yeah. The first time I read this, I was so sad about Martel's death because I really liked her. It's really oh, sad. Yeah. Maybe she'll make it out. <laughs> no. No. Yeah. Well, it was sad. The scene where they're fighting, I found the scene where they're fighting, Roa and Dolcetto are fighting. Mm-hmm. Ha- uh, uh, fear. Fear. The fear to be sad mm-hmm. because she... She's like pounding on inside of Al's armor, mm-hmm. trying to get out to help them. One thing that I thought was kind of nice in this was like how the the other, you know, like Roa and even like uh, Beto. I forgot his name, but you reminded me. <laughs> like they, Beto was really worried about them and worried about greed. Like mm-hmm. you could tell they were, they were really loyal to each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which makes it sadder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But it was it was nice, and Al tried to protect her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I feel like that would also be tr- very traumatizing for Al, because, you know. Yeah, he like, seemed traumatized. Yeah. The like, the last time where she's like, let me out, and he's like, no. Mm-hmm. But even, yeah, the, you know, like, traumatized. the fear just stabbed a sword through him and... Yeah, killed a lady inside yeah. him, no big deal. Yeah, I remember, um, like, a while ago when I was rereading at some point, I got to the part where um, they're first talking about... Uh, trying to recover Al's memory mm. and uh, the doctor tells Izumi that like a strong shock would like maybe mm. do it I was like yeah that was that was shocking <laughs> yeah it is shocking I just assumed it was because yeah, I think was it's more, more to do with the, the yeah I think it's more yeah. to do with the blood on the seal but I was just like kind of like I mean it could have been we don't know we don't mm-hmm. know what the what the magic was but yeah. yeah I mean I think because the seal's shown so prominently covered in blood that's probably what it was yeah I don't know it mm-hmm. could have been shocking but yeah, it is a strong shock. Yeah. Al's a nice guy. He just wants to take care of things, keep mm-hmm. cats in his armor and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> cats, Camaro ladies, you know. Yeah, no big deal. <laughs> Same diff. <laughs> and it was like Roa and um, Dolcetto are like super, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Wow, I can't think today. Mm-hmm. They're super loyal to Greed mm-hmm. as well. 
So it's not like they're just like, oh, all amongst themselves and then there's greed. It's like they all really yeah. care about greed. Yeah. Yeah. And greed apparently cares for them in some weird greed way, too. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. He's like, they're my possessions. But mm-hmm. like, I don't know. It didn't seem like that's how he treated them. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was more talk. Mm-hmm. Maybe. It was his excuse for doing what he wanted. Yeah. So greed can basically regenerate, but it seems like the other, like Roa and Dolcetto and Martel can regenerate somewhat or like heal really quickly to a certain extent. I think they're just... Or maybe they can just take more damage. Yeah, I, I think they're know. like just implied to be really hardy. Like, yeah. Maybe. It's kind yeah, of hard to tell because they, Dolcetto... they were still like stumbling along and mm. like I don't think that they were really that recovered. I think they just, you know, were taking what like... little they had left and yeah, using just... that strength. That's true. I was just thinking about really the time before where Dolcetto was like getting knocked out constantly and recovering mm-hmm. and seeming to be okay. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it does seem like they just yeah they they were fighting with what they had left mm-hmm. at the end. Yeah, I think it's but they were able to withstand a lot. Yeah, I think like it's implied that being turned into a chimera like makes you a and succeeding like makes you a gives you more like endurance and strength and stuff. Mm-hmm. Seems like mm-hmm. you can take the stabbings of the yeah. <laughs> The Fear's five sword technique or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do like how like like when they like get themselves back up, it's like they look like they're in a lot of pain. Like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they're spitting out blood. Mm-hmm. We get a whole like panel we get a whole panel for each of them of them being in pain. So yeah. in that chapter also we had the Fear sassing Armstrong to not take be so easy on the, the enemy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was interesting. I mean it was just a small thing. Yeah. I guess. But... And I think Armstrong like obviously trying to like end this with as little violence as possible even though it's like straight up a massacre like Mm -hmm. he's got his own little like kind of idealistic hopes for it i think that the military people i mean other than the fear that we've met so far it's not like they're super like hot-headed like they want to just like fight all the time Mm -hmm. or hot hot hot-blooded you know they all seem to kind of like have the reasons why they're in the military but it doesn't necessarily it's not like they just like not like kimberly where he's just like i like blowing mm-hmm. stuff up you yeah. know yeah it's not like they're just like i love to fight i mean obviously we know more about the fear now than we used to yeah um so his motivations are questionable but it seems like for people like armstrong it's like he feels like he's trying to neutralize the situation but the mm-hmm. fear's goal is to actually just kill all of them yeah. right as discussed by Ednell after. Yeah. But yeah, all the Fuhrer being weird kind of makes sense now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because he's not a person. I mean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although maybe we, I think we should save that to the end, actually. I don't want to mm-hmm. that topic yet. Yeah. Well, so um, speaking about the shock and, and getting his memories back, that panel, I think, does a very good job of, or that page does a great job of showing sort of the rush of memories and it being all fuzzy, but it's kind of all there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's just kind of like a, a mess. Just all of the the panels are kind of cutting into each other, mm-hmm. and it's got yeah a bunch of different things. I guess uh, there's some of his like birth, and mm-hmm. I see now one a skull with ribs. So maybe like the future of his death or something. I don't know. Did he see through time and space? Yeah, it seemed like in the first like when in the panels where Ed sees the truth, some of the imagery was looked like time progressing like men becoming older and stuff i forget exactly Mm -hmm. but yeah some of it seems to be like kind of like the like history and future of like the entire universe Mm because there's like like in alice you can see some like dinosaur bones and stuff yeah yeah like i think it's kind of showing your personal history mixed with you know the world like that's Mm -hmm. kind of what it seems like yeah Yeah. exactly 
I think that's what is what meant to be communicated by the specific imagery. Yeah. In the, both of those scenes. But it is interesting how he gets he got to the mom, but then the mom was him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sketchy. Yeah. Yeah, I never really fully noticed the panel of like Al as a baby and presumably his mm. father's uh, arms there. Yeah, mm. I noticed that one. Mm-hmm. I guess I should probably have pointed it out, but I yeah. noticed that. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, he's a baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I also like how the memory cuts off with the like long black panels until it fades. Yeah, I like that yeah. too. You have a really chaotic couple first or like page, I guess, almost on the one half, and then it gets goes into these like dark panels of just nothing. Mm-hmm. It's a good contrast there. Yeah. But turned out he didn't learn anything about human transmutation. Mm-hmm. So he tries to punch him away. <laughs> <laughs> clang, clang, clang. Yeah. <laughs> Brought Winry in with the, like... Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's... I don't know. I find it interesting that he's, like, he saw what seemed like the mom, and then it turned into him taking his arm away. At first, I was like, I don't really get what's happening until you explained... Until you described it. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh. Yeah, I think the, it's, his, like... The other alternate him has this, like, also creepy grin you know oh, yeah. yeah i think it's um i was interpreted as being like because like we see the truth we see ed's like arm and leg appear on the truce mm. um yeah when he does his transmutation since al lost his whole body i assume that was his body going over top of the truce mm-hmm. maybe mm-hmm. it does the truth is interspersed into those scenes as well so you see the truth sitting there and then yeah. you see the truth smiling the creepy smile toward the end like of the page like it's on the kind of the bottom left hand corner of the mm-hmm. page mm-hmm. Yeah, so it could be that. Yeah, and the truth has a creepy grin too, so. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it totally makes sense. Mm-hmm. It wasn't the mom after all. So I guess even if you sacrifice yourself, you still can't have the knowledge of human transmutation. Yeah, I guess But so. Al, can, does that mean Al can transmute without a circle now? We don't know yet. He hasn't tried to transmute anything. That's true. Maybe we'll just be like, I saw it, but I didn't get it. Yeah. <laughs> I do like how I didn't describe like, it in the summary, but when Ed asks how it was, and he describes it as weird so, the same way. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The arms. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I did like that. <laughs> Were you going to say something else? Oh, uh, just like a meta commentary. It's like, yeah, I saw the truth, but it's all like esoteric bullshit. I don't get it. <laughs> yeah. I don't think it means anything. Like, <laughs> I don't really get it's it, like, man. They kept talking about life. So he said something and, about like, the tree of life and the Kabbalah. Yeah. <laughs> Sephiroth and. <laughs> no one will understand because I definitely cut all of that discussion. Oh, man. Episode. I don't know. I can't remember. I'm going to keep referencing the discussion we cut. There'll have to be a bonus. I thought we had a light discussion of the tree of life. But yeah. the, our extended discussion yeah. where I was like, I don't fucking get what they're talking about. I think I, that was what I cut. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> or it might be at the end. I don't know. I'll double check. <laughs> maybe I can. Do, maybe let's have a. If you donate to our Kofi, I'll send you the discussion. <laughs> <laughs> Extra content. That's what the people want. You want to hear Ellen despairing about YouTube videos? I don't understand Kabbalah. <laughs> I tried. I tried for several hours. I didn't put much effort into it, to be honest. Yeah. You're like, you're like, do you know how long I spent trying to understand the Kabbalah? Like two hours. Three hours, yeah. <laughs> a good Scott Pilgrim quote. I love it. It's like, like two hours. Two hours. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. It's okay. I was reading about like, um, you know, like the crucifixion and the seven deadly sins. 
and I was complaining to Mike today. I was like, this says that Jesus said this, but now it says this. How can this be true if it says this? And he was like, why are you reading so much about Christianity? And I was like, look at this book. <laughs> you can't tell me that's not Christian imagery. And he was like, okay, you need to calm down. <laughs> he went to church way more than I did. He actually remembers certain things. He asked me something very specific about the crucifixion, and I was like, it does say that right here in this Wikipedia article that I didn't remember until you. <laughs> Anyway, so yeah, no, it's okay. I'll never understand. It's fine. <laughs> I just, I, I guess, I just can't. I'll never be able to filter the light of God through the Sephiroth or whatever. It's fine. <laughs> I was thinking this discussion is going to reveal a lot about me, more than maybe I want people to know. <laughs> anyway, what were we talking about? <laughs> Esoteric bullshit? Oh, we were yeah. talking about Al. Al recovering mm-hmm. his uh, <laughs> memories. <laughs> or maybe he would just be like, and then the light from God is filtered through the Sephiroth, and then Ed is like, what are you even talking about? Yeah. This is science. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah, esoteric bullshit. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> the point is, he doesn't know. He didn't get any extra information. Just, he also didn't go into like a coma or whatever, so that works. Yeah. yeah. It was all for the best in the end. So another thing about this chapter that I found very interesting was sort of the parallels between the different, I mean, I guess you could call them stories, but like you had, um, yeah, it started off with, with Greed and Ed punching each other, and then it switched to Armstrong and Roa mm-hmm. fighting, and then um, you had the military stopping Ed, and like he was trying to to pursue greed basically to get what he wanted uh and the military was holding him back and you go to martel being held back by al as she wants to go to her friends and like i don't know i just just found um in this chapter in particular i felt like as they went between the two it was a similar story happening as you switched back and forth Mm -hmm. i don't know it was just interesting um i don't know if you guys have found more of that than i did no <laughs> I was just like, that is a good point. That did happen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there's a lot of. Uh, yeah, I did strongly of... notice the uh, transition, the punching transition. So, mm-hmm. A really striking, like, two page spread of that. Yeah. <laughs> I did too because I was briefly confused and I was like, wait, when did this become Roa and Armstrong? Because <laughs> Ed transmutes his arm into, uh, like, to have point a pointed fist like Armstrong right before that so i was like oh it's his fist and i looked over and i was like but that's Roa." yeah <laughs> yeah but like i didn't really uh think about it until you were talking about how ed they're taking ed away and then like i was trying to hold martel at the same time and yeah i always like the um the ed and greed fight in these chapters mm-hmm. i like how it like explains um greed's shield thing like you could easily just like hand wave that and be like oh it's a special homunculus thing but Mm-hmm. It has like a in-universe scientific explanation. Yeah. Of course. Mm-hmm. And Ed figured it out, of course. Mm-hmm. Shockingly. Because he's a genius after all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I also always love the moment of him like taking the time to praise Winry for being an amazing mechanic. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Somewhere she's sneezing. Or yeah. Whatever. <laughs> she's, like, she's like, hmm, I might be less mad at Ed the next time he comes back. <laughs> <laughs> Why do I feel this sudden stirring of kindness? (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, but I like how he just like kind of taunts Greed into fighting him again and then mm-hmm. like attacks him again. Oh, I yeah. did want to ask you about that. Because there's the one panel where um, he asks, you know, like, what'd you do? And Ed just stands there with like a finger kind of taunting him to come in. Mm-hmm. And I f- swear I saw Azumi do that earlier, but I'm not positive. Did she stand there with like in that same pose, almost same expression previously? Does that ring a bell to anyone? She does um when she's doing her little like lecture to baby Ed and mm-hmm. Al, like after she like knocks Al out and then says like it says like the best way to learn is through demonstration and like beckons Ed over. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. It's kinda similar. I think she uses like her whole hand instead of just the finger, but <laughs> mm-hmm. I just remember it looks familiar and very Azumi esque for some reason. Yes. <laughs> I do like how all the like the chapters with Azumi we've gotten show just how much that they like take after her and they're like mm-hmm. fighting in alchemy styles. Yeah. Like using making things into hands is something, <laughs> you know, something that yeah. seems kind of unique to the three of them. Making like, doors out of everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then busting them and then busting them open, you know? Yeah. In general it's kinda neat to see how everyone's like alchemy styles like vary a little bit. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, Edna learned a bit. But they didn't learn very much. Yeah. Not as much as we learned as an yeah, audience. Like what we learned is we don't know a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, they were like, let's stay closer to the military from now on. Mm-hmm. It's like, I don't know if that's good, but yeah, sure, whatever. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I mean, I think let's run toward the screaming. That's what they yeah. <laughs> Well, they don't know. They were like, why did Fear Bradley cure every, uh, kill everybody mm-hmm. when he could have just questioned them? <laughs> Something is suspicious. Yeah. Because yeah. he already knows. He knows all of that. Mm-hmm. He certainly knew greed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's in on it. Yeah. It goes all the way to the top! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As stated previously. Yeah, it's kind of funny to have all the bits where it's like, the character's like, do you think military command might be involved? And it's like, <laughs> it's obviously, like, yes, the, the leader of the military is literally a homunculus. So. Yes. Mm-hmm. Not only is he involved... <laughs> I mean, it's beyond involvement. Yeah. Or orchestrating it, probably. Mm-hmm. Or, or or their father is, I guess. Mm-hmm. The father. Also, again, no Christianity references yeah. involved in that. <laughs> On a related note, the original um, the original Viz publication, I don't think I have Called him Daddy? Sorry. No. no. <laughs> um, it, 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 it turned the cross greed is on into like, just a misshapen lump of rock. And I'm like, I'm like but that's the point. <laughs> trying to like censor the they were just like oh we don't want people to be offended it's part of the fucking story god damn it yeah. Jesus listen to my blaspheming swear <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say something about that like, the obvious symbolism is the point mm, do you smell ozone I mean <laughs> yeah the obvious symbolism is the point they're, they're the fucking deadly sins mm-hmm. anyway I'm offended yeah so I was really pleased that they uh reverted that in the uh yeah. special yes. editions yeah that's a, a good call i think i feel like something as symbolic as that shouldn't be removed from the work yeah. i guess they were like 12 year olds read this in america we can't have them showing their parents yeah. this well, symbolism then we'll never sell another wasn't this also around the the height of the funimation censorship or was that was that earlier 90s i think that when, might have been a little earlier but i do yeah. think the, like mid 2000s was like a time when there were like no religious references ever in anything like in things like manga and video games and stuff i'm just thinking about it 
but I didn't really follow a lot of series that would have had that anyway. Yeah. But what about like, I mean, Trigun was a thing. You can't censor that. Mm -hmm. That's like the whole thing. I mean, that I saw of the first few episodes that I yeah. saw. I mean, can a were... giant gun shaped like a cross. Yeah. I also think they were marketing Fullmetal Alchemist a little younger than something like Trigun or like mm -hmm. Chrono Crusade. I think that that's really what it is. I, that's, yeah. I mean, I made a, just made a joke about mm -hmm. it being like, yeah, we can't have the 12-year-olds saying this stuff. Yeah. But I mean, I think that that's a mistake. Yeah. Like, look at it. Look at all the blood. Did they yeah. censor out all the blood? <laughs> like, yeah. I don't it's know. Like, I think... <laughs> It's clearly not meant for that kind of audience. Yeah, it's like, I think if the 12-year-old in question is mature enough to handle the, you know, violence and genocide, um, <laughs> they can probably handle some religious references. Which isn't to yeah, say I that every 12-year-old is, but the ones that are are probably... Yeah. <laughs> I, want, I don't know. I haven't really watched any, like... I haven't watched a lot of new anime that would have something controversial mm -hmm. in it, but I feel like they don't censor them as much as they used to. Mm-hmm. Even mm -hmm. in the early 2000s. Yeah, I think there's less of a, like, we're going to take this, like, Japanese media and turn it into a Western kid show than there yeah. used to be. Like, I think that people finally realize that it's not only children that want to read yeah. comic books and watch cartoons. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, like, it's less of a, like, like, I think a lot of people, like, growing up around our age, like, when we watched, like, Sailor Moon and Dragon Ball Z and Pokemon, we didn't know it was an anime. It was just a cartoon that cartoon. was on the show. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Because they, like, changed all the names and edited out references to Japanese culture and anything yeah. objectionable. Like, you will marry their cousins or yes. whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they, like, do that less. And it's more like if they're going to translate something, it's like, this is a translated anime now. So, mm -hmm. I guess there's, like, stuff like Crunchyroll and stuff too. Like, mm -hmm. there's places that are, like, dedicated to that. Like, I don't know how yeah like, there's like or there's like adult swim but mm -hmm. like sailor moon was like primetime kids it was translated and aired in a kid's time mm -hmm. yeah right so, yeah i think it's like it's clear that there's a market for it now and like yeah. yeah when they were first starting to translate it they were like we don't know how the western audience is going to react to this so we'll try and like repackage it as western as possible and see if we can make money yeah. off of it <laughs> I guess it seems like it was so long between Sailor Moon and Full Metal Alchemist, but man, I guess it wasn't really that long. It was probably like mm -hmm. six years. No, maybe no. Let me think, because that was like the late nineties. Yeah, probably. I don't know when the first episode came out in North America. So yeah, like, probably five, watching was pretty five young. Seven. I think it was like early mid nineties. I want to say, yeah. And then you had like Pokemon was Pokemon like the and Digimon late 90s. and stuff, which was like late nineties. And then is I think this... that's when people were starting to catch on that, like, hey, this this stuff came from Japan and there's other stuff and it's different there and stuff. Because so. <laughs> I remember, like, looking, like, you know, on rudimentary GeoCities websites about Pokemon and <laughs> <laughs> learning about, like, oh, in the Japanese version, it says this. And... Japanese version. Ash and Misty are married or Asia. whatever. I don't even know. <laughs> Pokemon is a, a children's anime, I think, even yeah. in Japan. But yeah, yeah, like Sailor Moon isn't necessarily. Mm -hmm. Or it's just like they just there isn't as much like censorship of children's media. Yeah, it's less Japan. like I think yeah, that's it's less situation. of a it's less of a strict age thing, it seems, and more like general demographics. Yeah. Over there. I think so. That's mm -hmm. why like Shoujo runs like... the gambit of crazy of crazy relationships. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because like I was talking <laughs> about like like, I think they were marketing Fullmetal Alchemist younger than something like Trigun is, like, I'm pretty sure those are targeted toward the same audience in Japan. They didn't run FMA. Definitely. Yeah. I think they're they both, like, been. they're both shonen series, I believe, so. Yes. 
but they didn't run. Trigun wasn't run. Trigun must have been run on Adult Swim or something. Like not like a, not on like a prime time. Yeah, I'm pretty like, sure that I was. Mean, a, yeah, FMA must have been too. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. yeah, I think it was just like FMA's like for 13 year olds and Trigun's for 15 year olds kind of thing. You know, like <laughs> yeah. I feel like that's kind yeah, of 15 year olds know the difference the attitude. between. Uh, <laughs> A chunk of ground and a cross-shaped chunk of ground. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I don't know. It, mm-hmm. It's just a, it was a weird time. I think like the North American industry is just more. Yeah, it was now. during the like the like anime boom. So I think they were you know sure. still kind of figuring out like how it worked, <laughs> like like how to translate and market and sell anime to a Western audience. Probably and, like, so. Because I'm just thinking, like, FMA, I mean, yeah, FMA has, like, the same amount of violence as, like, Cowboy Bebop, which is clearly marketed at, like, an older audience mm-hmm. in what, or was clearly marketed at an older audience in North America. Like, for example. So. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. It's very interesting. Yeah, I think they're just, like, still figuring things out. And yeah. It's, like, things like, like, One Piece is a shounen in the same way, but it got turned into a four kids <laughs> show when it came over to the West, so. I haven't seen One Piece, but I think it's more cartoon violence rather than like people getting their heads cut off. Yeah, so, yeah. You just know? I'm saying like it's the same like demographic and yes, originated. But yeah, yeah, yeah. But they look at One Piece and go, "We can turn this into a show for seven to eight year olds," and then <laughs> you know they'll get full metal office and go like, mm, "Young mm. teens." <laughs> <laughs> Throw that T rating on the back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I guess probably the audience for this kind of content in in north america is more mature as well too mm-hmm. like you kind of know what you're getting into you know it's going to be like a mixed bag of stuff yeah as opposed to being like everything for ch- quote unquote for children is going to be cute and fun mm-hmm. yeah or like for for teens is going to be somewhat clean mm-hmm. you know not going to have horrible familial abuse or people's heads getting cut off or yeah. whatever if i remember right the 2003 anime was like even more religious-y in its references, so I don't know why they were, like, trying to turn the manga into a less religious thing. <laughs> different, uh, different, pro- like, producer. Yeah. Different Even in general, it's just kind of hilarious to have this scene where you have characters named after the seven deadly sins and it's so being God. talked to by their father and then and they're then like, oh, we gotta censor to that father, cross. Yeah. And then he drinks the, the goo. Yeah. Like, it, the whole thing is, yeah, it's riddled <laughs> with Christian imagery. Mm-hmm. You, you can't not see it. Yeah, but they're like, yeah, oh, so- we gotta we gotta censor that cross. <laughs> <laughs> That's too much. They should have censored him drinking greed again. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, whatever. <laughs> That's a rant. Yeah. But if you did censor it, would it just be like, he's it's wine and he's having a toast? It would be a jelly then- donut. <laughs> Well, because then he's got alcohol, and which one do you choose? Which one is worse, the alcohol or the blood of your child? Which would you rather (laughs) them drink? The sacrificial blood? It's grape juice. It's grape juice. (laughs) Are we going to get in trouble for this episode? I don't know. (laughs) Let's find out. I don't think we're popular enough to get in trouble. Probably Hey, it's appropriate for our Christmas episode. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) It would be more appropriate for an Easter episode, I think. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, well, how about we just put this uh, show on hold for a couple months and <laughs> yeah. we'll release later. <laughs> anyway, how about yeah. maybe we should just talk. Well, I don't know. I feel like we should talk about that last because it was so intriguing. Yeah. Uh, even though we've already talked about it like three times. Can't stop, won't stop. <laughs> yeah. and, okay, so we're done with that now, basically. I think so, yeah. They know mm-hmm. some stuff. They're still mm-hmm. at Izumi's, but they didn't really find out. And then Al saw his memories, but he didn't 
he didn't learn anything from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It's kind okay. of fun to see them kind of doing their own thing for several chapters. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like even when they wound up in the same building, like Al wound up like down in the sewers doing his thing and mm-hmm. Ed was up mm-hmm. in the main building. So, yeah. Cause normally it feels, sometimes it feels like Al's kind of like a tag along, you know, like mm-hmm. he just goes wherever Ed goes and he helps sometimes, but sometimes he's not very like effective in battle because he can't do the transmutation without the circle and we've seen him kind of like help but not like you know when they were chasing um Panini? yeah panina okay. yeah when they were chasing panina he made the circle and he like couldn't catch her you know mm-hmm. i mean i think there was like another i mean there were other reasons for that for that part of the story but like yeah just as an example it's like yeah. he's there and he sometimes is helpful but mm-hmm. You know, sometimes seems like Ed, Ed's the one kind of like leading the charge. Yeah, I guess. Well, so yeah, name, it's nice when they're different. Yeah, huh? his name's yeah. on the cover, so. Yes, he is the Full Metal Alchemist. <laughs> He's the older brother. It makes sense. It all makes sense. But it is nice yeah. to see them do something different. Mm-hmm. Diff- you know, I guess what I'm saying is I agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> I think it is also kind of like it is. It seems like it's in Al's character to want to. He's more of like a protector than somebody who's gonna like fight. Mm-hmm. Like I think we've seen that a couple times. Yeah. But this time specifically with Martel. Mm-hmm. It's not like yeah. he was like, You run, I'll fight, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like how even like even before um Dolcetto and Roa like ask him to keep her safe, like he like instinctively like pushes her back down, like mm-hmm. yeah. into his yeah, armor when, when like when the Fuhrer shows up. Like <laughs> Yeah. I think he knew that that's what he needed to do. Like mm-hmm. that's what he was going to do, rather. Yeah. So. Regardless of them telling, telling him, mm-hmm. I feel like he's done that before. I mean, I specifically remember the time with Rose, but that was more to like get her to hear secrets. This was, yeah. Um, yeah. He was like he did like protect her in that battle though, like with his mm. body, like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I guess I feel like he's done that a couple of times mm-hmm. specifically yeah, because I think he's armor. used his yeah he's used his big armor body to protect people from gunfire on at least one other occasion, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> he used it to deflect all the bullets at the robbers or yeah. on the train. <laughs> he was like, no, don't shoot. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you guys are idiots. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Al's a good boy. Yeah. He is a good boy. They're both good boys, but Al's a good a good boy. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of uh, empty suits of armor, of course, we had a resist encounter with Barry the Chopper. Barry's back. Mm-hmm. He's here. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of love hate him. He's like mm-hmm. annoying, but I love it. You know, he's yeah. like way more likable than he should be. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I shouldn't like that you're making all these like gross jokes, but I love. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or he's like, you wouldn't be fun to chop up, but you'd be fun to chop up. Yeah, I love his descriptions of of lust oh, and lust. envy. Yeah. Like, Roy just like face palming and be like, no, yeah. no, don't tell us anymore. Yeah, it's, like, it's fine. <laughs> the, the like. What did, he said in the English, I didn't look at what it was in Japanese, but he was like, lust is all vuh 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 Envy is something else, but I can't remember. All bones. Envy is like all bony, wouldn't be fun to chop up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did like that. I appreciated mm-hmm. it. And you're like, oh, I shouldn't like this, but I do. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think one of the things uh, that I'm thinking about is that, I think one of the reasons that, is that he makes all these jokes that just don't land. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like... Yeah. It's just I don't know. I think it's it's very, um, the the fact that he's like always off the mark with his audience and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think isn't that a, like, a style of Japanese comedy where you have um, 
someone making all these bad jokes and then someone else mm-hmm. who actually has the real punchlines. Something like that, uh, I think. Yeah. yeah, I can't remember what the yeah. names are. It's the it's... double comedy. <laughs> I, I think that that's sort of what uh, makes him so cool, so enjoyable. Manzai? Is that what you're talking about? Probably. Manzai usually involves two performers, a straight man and a funny yeah. man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Trading jokes at a great speed. Most jokes involve mutual, revolve around mutual understandings, double talk puns, and other verbal gags. I think mm. it's Manzai that you're talking thinking yeah. of. It is. I don't know how similar. Yeah, the, the Tsukomi and Boke. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. that's all right. No, yeah, no. Just, I guess it's kind of like that. <laughs> he's like the, <laughs> the one half. The dumb, yeah. the dumb half. Yeah. But it, I love how he's constantly like, why aren't you scared of me? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so, like... <laughs> yeah, like he did the same thing with Al. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, why aren't you shocked and horrified by this? And then like. And then he counters Risa, and that's the same thing. He's like, what the hell, man? What the hell? Yeah. <laughs> what are scared What's of wrong me? with all these people? <laughs> yeah, I like that a lot. Yeah. And I feel like he like immediately falls in love with Risa. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> Who wouldn't? completely unintimidated oh, by him. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's like relatable. Yeah. <laughs> I feel that. I also love Roy threatening to set him on fire. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was like, yay, Roy. <laughs> with the like angry eyes of the yeah. like in shadow. <laughs> mm-hmm. As we as we know is the preferred visual language of mm-hmm. Arakawa when people are super being super crazy. Yeah. <laughs> he did say some crazy shit though, like how they sucked his soul from his body when he yeah. was alive. I was like, oh shit, yeah. <laughs> that sounds bad. Mm-hmm. That sounds very bad. Yeah, and how he says it with like the same like sense of humor he says everything with. He's just yes. like, oh yeah, yeah, it would have been better if I had been executed. And... Ha ha ha! And they're like horrified faces yeah <laughs> i mean i guess that's probably what happened to like ed now like it's probably similar i don't know mm-hmm. i mean maybe not maybe not if you're the one not the one doing the transmutation but yeah. like your body being ripped apart i don't know yeah probably doesn't feel good either way <laughs> uh i doubt it somehow i doubt it well yeah i mean when, uh, that the the researchers got turned into philosopher stones just a few <laughs> days before they went in right before mm-hmm. they were there yeah because we i think we were talking about like oh how recent was this place active like mm-hmm. it looks like it might have been abandoned or stuff like that but uh, i guess not i guess why it there's was... still blood on the ground <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's why there's still esoteric symbols everywhere <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i guess it's like dr marco wasn't there that recently but he had been there before yeah for for example that they're talking about military personnel Mm -hmm. were researching it yeah you know well less taunts him by saying that like his subordinates are still like continuing his work so (laughs) he probably knows yeah do you think he knows do you think that that's why it was such a an extra level of horror well i mean considering that it literally just happened i wouldn't be surprised if she was like well i guess we don't have any use for them and you know our bargaining ship for Dr. Marco, well, mm-hmm. there's no point to keep them around or something like that. I don't know. I guess. Yeah. I like Roy calling it morbidly efficient. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's true. Mm-hmm. Yep. So yeah, that was all horrifying. But yeah. there's, they didn't really give them any leads, except that Roy knows that they were, that and now we're there, and that it has to do with the Philosopher's Stone. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess Barry told them. He told them that it was to do with the Philosopher's Stone. Yeah. And they sacrificed all the people, so. Yeah. Yeah. Intriguing. They're also kind of in the same, like, we should stick close to the military from now on, kind of. Yeah. (laughs) They're like, all right, Fallman, you hang out with Barry the Chopper. 
Yeah. Don't let him get away. <laughs> We're going to go investigate. <laughs> now they're all in Central, so now they're close to the epicenter of evil, of course. <laughs> mm -hmm. <Yeah. laughs> also, um, I think one of the most intriguing moments in that scene is uh, Roy asking him if he killed Hughes. Oh, course. yeah. <laughs> yeah, and everyone else's discomfort with that. Yeah. I think Roy's, you know, probably part of his, like, whatever tragic flaws that vengeful streak mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and wanting to be uh i don't know you know he wants to be in power and whatever and this person that he cared about was killed so mm -hmm. yeah. not having any control over that situation probably bothers him yeah but yeah it is intriguing mm -hmm. roy's on the roy's on the hunt mm -hmm. well the case is still open yeah i guess nobody saw that it was second lieutenant ross or whatever <laughs> <laughs> Mm. nobody saw there's no like cctv in central <laughs> like it's the second lieutenant ross and then it was uh gracia hughes <laughs> oh right that's right yeah. it was actually <laughs> gracia hughes that killed him my bad yeah. <laughs> i forgot about that it was a palm tree shaped person i'll say <laughs> time a little executor <laughs> <laughs> i didn't quite hear what you said at first and then i like put the piece together in my brain <laughs> I think we're done with that topic. <laughs> mm -hmm. The Fuhrer... So the is a bad guy. Mm -hmm. He's part yeah. of Team Rocket, it turns out. He's wrathed. I mean, he was definitely sketchy to begin with, but mm -hmm. I definitely forgot this. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, I like Whoa. how, like, I feel like up until <laughs> this point, there's enough, like, on either side for you to be like, is he secretly bad? Is he secretly he good? good? Like, <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Turns out he's secretly bad. Yeah. Or yeah. at least, like, I don't know. He also brought greed back to be destroyed. So I guess that's serving the father. But mm -hmm. I don't know. I still don't know yeah. if he's, you know, is he trying to do an inside job? But I don't think so. Yeah. He's at least like definitively aware Not of all the awful shit and participating in it. Like He's definitely mm -hmm. involved. That's yeah. for sure. But he also, like... see, but he asked Ed and Al if they shared any information with greed. Mm -hmm. So I don't, that's the only reason why I think that he might, still but he doesn't have any reason to like not be like to be against them as far as we know so mm -hmm. against the other homunculi and the father yeah but but i'm just saying i feel like it's still not confirmed that he's 100 percent bad i might eat, eat my words later yeah. but there's still stuff yeah. about his motivations that are unclear but yeah. for sure like, i feel like in the past you could be like maybe he's like trying to figure all this stuff out too and definitely wanting to work with them mm -hmm. or whatever but no we know he's also really sketchy yeah. and stuff it's like no no he's no we know that he he's knows part of it. everything yeah. he's definitely part of it mm -hmm. but yeah so i thought about it i wonder if he knows greed wouldn't give any information out without first getting his information maybe and maybe maybe yeah he asked because if if they didn't share any information he doesn't have to really worry about them getting information from yeah him. it is it's weird because like, he backed off right away yeah yeah because more like asking it's like he can't be like yeah did they did talk, my, did like, tell you about yeah, it's like did my brothers give you any information about our <laughs> secret plan but <laughs> yeah yes and then when he ed is says nothing he's just like you're a good boy and then pieces out yeah so yeah i guess he made the assumption that ed doesn't know anything more mm -hmm. but yeah i guess that's the only way you can ask that question yeah you're in his position as a side note that's one thing i don't love about the um 
the Brotherhood adaptation mm-hmm. is it's like they like hang a sign that says villain on Bradley from like the moment he appears. <laughs> I'm like, Should could be you be so a obvious. little more subtle? <laughs> He's already like suspicious enough. Yeah, like it should be un- just. Yeah, it's like just he should make you uneasy, enough. but not. Yeah, yeah. obviously point. evil from the like first appearance. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, Do you like well, that still like he still does his like horrifying like changes of expression from like being like oh yeah, or, oh yeah. like terrifying to being like all friendly and fatherly and being like mm-hmm. oh you're an honest kid and like yeah. He did his horrifying expression to Al, mm-hmm. and then yeah, did his like nice expression after. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as stated, he has his like human family or whatever, which is really horrifying. Yeah. Oh yeah. Extra. Yeah. After all that scene in the <laughs> in the lair, the deep deep underground, and then yes. Uh, and then he's like, "Oh, daddy's home." And you're like, oh. like, "Yeah," <laughs> and being like, "Oh, son, how are you?" <laughs> it's like really well done, like. Like, it's horrifying, but, like, nothing about the scene itself is overtly horrifying. Just that the contrast of the previous scene, yeah, it's just really well done. Yeah. It's like a mm-hmm. horror movie where, mm-hmm. like, you know the killer's in the house and everybody's yeah. still at the pool party. Like, that's exactly what it is, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's what makes it great. That's why it's a horrifying scene. It's, like, yeah. just normal. The normal, mm-hmm. the normality of it is what makes it horrifying. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, so there's this whole, okay, so he said a bunch of shit. In the lair. So first of yeah. all, there's a lair, and the lair's under the central military <laughs> headquarters, right? Mm-hmm. It's an evil villain lair, let's be yeah. honest. <laughs> He's basically like Darcidius, right? Mm-hmm. I'm just going to bring lots of pop culture references today. <laughs> he has a throne. There's a bunch of tubes. He's wearing mm-hmm. a cape. He looks like he's quite old, the man, the father. <laughs> Darcidius. <laughs> I stand by yes. what I said. But he... Well, actually, hold on. <laughs> Well, no, um, just I want to make sure uh, that I'm not spoiling anything, but... It looks like he was wearing a cape. I made a lot of assumptions. Yeah, keep going, and I'll, I'm going I'm to look it up. I'd probably call it a robe, but it could be a cape. Yeah, okay, he does say that you made me. Yeah, And we also know that he is 200 years old, right? Isn't that what he said? Greed is said... Well, he's he kind of flip-flopped back and forth, where he was like, yeah, I'm almost 200 years old. Then he was like, I'm like whatever i don't know or no 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 i just got confused with the fear's dialogue he's... yeah it did sound like he said that and then i, I realized that it was the fear who said he was 60. yeah 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 i thought that yeah. he said he was 16 he was just exaggerating but no he yeah, said he's he almost he's 200 years old 200 and less says he left 100 years, 100 ago. years ago yeah mm-hmm. so yeah. um is why he doesn't know who the fuck bradley is <laughs> yes, yes which i think is really hilarious mm-hmm. partly mm-hmm. yeah he's like who the hell are you he's like why is the military dude here yeah <laughs> Yeah, he's like, ah, oh, family reunions. Who the heck is this guy? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> his long-lost cousin, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so now we've met, there's like greed, lust, gluttony, envy, and wrath, and sloth. We yeah, we saw a picture of sloth. sloth. Yeah. 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 So there's only one left that we haven't met, mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. guess. Pride and... Yes, pride. Is there one more left? No. Oh, okay. Pride, lust, lust, greed, wrath. Envy, envy, wrath. Sloth. Loss and pride. Yeah. Okay. Seven. Yeah. Pride we haven't met yet. So unless you're writing a uh, OC Sin character <laughs> fic <laughs> fanfiction.net in uh, 2005, then there's Apparently then there's, there's many some, more. Uh, there's some old like deadly sins that like aren't there was a couple of deadly sins that were written about in all the olden mm-hmm. you know Christian literature that were removed, like vainglory. So you could make a like eighth vainglory sin. Yeah. 
which is a word that people don't even use anymore, I don't think. Which is a shame. It's a good word. Vainglory. Doesn't it just also mean pride? Yeah, basically. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's why they grouped it together. They decided to combine some. There was like something else. I remember reading. I did some Wikipedia research again. <laughs> Someone going like, stop that. That's silly. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Well, the Fuhrer reported back to the father that Al and Izumi would make good sacrifices. So it's also mm -hmm. kind of implied that you don't even have to have a body to be a sacrifice. Mm -hmm. I guess not. In Al's case. So I think that's interesting. Yeah. I don't know why. And I guess it implies that because they all have this, like, knowledge of the truth. Maybe that's what makes them human sacrifices? Like, I don't know. It's a little mm -hmm. mysterious. I mean, that makes sense. I can so see why you would think that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It also puts him, like... First, being interested in meeting Izumi into an interesting light. Mm -hmm. <laughs> He's like, you have a teacher, you say. <laughs> yeah. Powerful alchemist, you say. <laughs> yeah, I guess you could maybe infer that because of their accident, their teacher could have told them something that would have helped them mm -hmm. get there, you know, or whatever. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But, like, we, it hasn't really been discussed what his eye, what his power is, I don't think. Yeah. Uh, like, you can see that he has this, like, like superhuman uh, speed. I think, mm -hmm. but I don't, I feel like there's probably more with his eye. Like maybe he can see something with his. Yeah, his I imagine eye. it's it's some sort of of <laughs> clairvoyance or or. Yeah, I think it's meant to be like to he can like has, can like react inhumanly fast because he can see things like. Mm -hmm. Maybe. Do you think that's the only thing though, or do you think he can like, you know, look into your mind's eye or whatever? <laughs> like, can he see? Does he know that Ed and Al? You know, like does he know something about Ed? You know what I mean? I don't know. I don't know how to describe what I'm saying. Like, does he? Yeah. Does he have some kind of preternatural ability to know things about people because of his eye? Like, I guess what you would call like a like his like a medium or like a psychic ability or something because of his eye. You, you can't say. I know you can't say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can't confirm or deny. But I guess what I'm saying is like I still feel like there's more to what his powers are. Mm -hmm. And I guess if he's homunculi, that homunculi, then he can regenerate too. But he also ages, so he's kind of different than them, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Greed definitely seems shocked that a homunculated ages is possible mm -hmm. now. So You know, the technology these days is always changing so yeah. fast. <laughs> he just needs to get with the times. He's 200 years old. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we need to get him on the TikTok and whatnot. <laughs> you know, that's what the kids do. Make homunculi that can age and also be on TikTok. <laughs> I feel like if any homunculi was going to be on TikTok, it would be Greed. Definitely. <laughs> He definitely has a huge Instagram following, for sure. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like, my two million followers are all mine. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes and, like, kills a rival YouTuber. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. I love it. <laughs> I like the idea of that. Where's that fanfic? <laughs> and then, yeah, of course, like, we, like we've discussed many times already in this episode, the Fuhrer brings greed back essentially crucified mm -hmm. in the stone mm -hmm. so there is the strong christian imagery there yeah and just the way the um just the way father talks and... yeah he's like my son will you my serve son me gave part of my soul, soul and... too. for a hundred percent there's like literally no part of that scene that isn't <laughs> yeah <laughs> you can't you can't deny it and he's like he's like fine then you'll have to return to my soul where you came from and then greed is like like, no problem, father. Hope you don't get sick or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> like, he also purposefully refers to, like, hell and stuff, mm -hmm. which is kind of interesting. Like, I don't really know what to make of it. Like, I don't... Do you think that it's just appropriation or do you think it has more 
does it have like symbolic meaning in the story you know what i mean mm -hmm. i think there's um symbolic meaning in the story and i also think that in real life alchemy and religion were pretty closely related uh-huh so it kind of makes sense to like bring in the that kind of language and symbolism i agree for the record mm -hmm. i don't know exactly yeah. what to make of it yet but mm -hmm. yeah, i think I it's think there's full yeah i think there's later stuff that definitely leans on the symbolism okay mm -hmm. yeah i mean i think it's the symbolism is obvious and here it's like the crucifixion and the son returning and the returning mm -hmm. to the father and the soul being combined i feel like that's all like relevant yeah. you know I, whatever christian imagery mm -hmm. yeah and i feel like if you're starting off with the like starting point of like trying to create life and someone's soul being in a suit of armor separate from their body somehow like you're gonna at least brush against themes of religion <laughs> when, mm -hmm. if you're discussing yeah. the nature of the soul and <laughs> life and all of that stuff but it's not even but not necessarily like christian religion i think the mm -hmm. thing is that so far what we've seen is very specific mm -hmm. esoteric kind of like esoteric and christian and like branches of what do they call it judaic because they had the like there was the tree of life mm -hmm. which is not christian but they're all from mm -hmm. i think it's uh or whatever I, or Abra if... abrahamic i don't know you know i don't know i don't know what i'm talking <laughs> about but all those the like religions that share a common uh like that same the call say share the same like common um oeuvre i don't know what the word is of christianity yeah mm -hmm. you know what i'm talking about everyone knows mm -hmm. what i'm talking about right yeah. <laughs> right that's specifically that because there are other religions that have like concept of a soul mm -hmm. yeah it's like i think it's talking, the whole, like hinduism here yeah you know? yeah and i think that like the natural like it leads into that naturally by going through alchemy like yes all that kind of symbolism stuff like if you're yeah. you're tackling the nature of the soul and you're looking at it through the lens of like a version of real world alchemy that's kind yeah. of the kind of the end result of that recipe <laughs> Actually, in my Wikipedia deep dive into the seven deadly sins and the crucifixion of Jesus, which is what I did after <laughs> my reading time, the you know how Al said that the the alchemical theory is that the body is made of the soul, the psych, like the soul, the spirit, and oh, the, um, and the physical body. Yeah. form. That's also a Christian idea. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Like it's not just an alchemical <laughs> yeah. writing. Uh, I wish I could find it again, but I just thought that was kind of interesting. It's like, that sounds familiar. <laughs> I read this in a mm -hmm. book once. Yeah. I will say, uh, mild spoilers, we do get other angles on hmm. alchemy and religious symbolism. Cool. From a different religious angle, uh, uh, not too long from now, actually. That's cool. Ooh. I'm looking mm -hmm. forward to it. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's obviously not as in-depth as this, since it kind of frames the whole like story of it, but it's interesting mm -hmm. that it's like it's not like the only thing that exists in this universe so. that's cool mm -hmm. it does seem like the story that we're the path we're walking right now is obviously like driven by the the homunculi and the father and that you know like because of that we're gonna be in this mm -hmm. this christian ideology i think yeah. you know or like the that that yeah angle of alchemy is what we're taking and like what's his soul and Mm -hmm. being part of that those aspects of the universe and stuff so that's the lens through which we're seeing alchemy at this point i guess yeah, like the guy <laughs> pulling the strings is obviously leaning into it so yes <laughs> yes <laughs> he's definitely uh, yeah i don't know he has this like super villain-esque 
you know, lair and stuff. But he mm-hmm. definitely, I don't know, He's is he supposed to be, at this point, it's not clear if he's supposed to be a representation, like, of God? Or does is that just how he thinks of himself as the creator of these, of the, you know, like, the homunculi and creating, I don't know, I guess creating the Philosopher's Stone? Like, I'm going to make mm-hmm. an assumption that the vat of goo is somehow related to the Philosopher's Stone, if not the Philosopher's Stone itself, which you can you can choose to neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> but the fact that he, like, distills it down into, like, this thing to drink, I feel like that's kind of... It's like homunculi, life energy soup. <laughs> that's what Green's <laughs> getting put into, you know? <laughs> it's like the instant pot of... <laughs> of, uh, <laughs> of, like, a Philosopher's Stone. <laughs> Delicious. <laughs> mm. Yeah, it probably smells real bad in there. <laughs> it, it's like you just, you can't not see that imagery in this part of the story. You can't not see yeah. that allegory that mm-hmm. he's a the creator and the father of all these things. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, I don't know how how the how the rest of the story fits into this. I don't know yeah. yet. Like, what is their motivation? We don't know. He said that he created, or lust lust explained to greed that wrath was created. As for the final stage of this, but we don't really know what the motivation or their plan is mm-hmm. still yet at this yeah, point. There's in a, the story. there's a plan and they're talking about a promise day, but Oh yeah, that's another really big big that... religious <laughs> yeah. situation uh-huh. that's happening in this mm-hmm. story. Yeah. But we don't really know what's uh what's leading to that. We don't know what the promise what it means. day <laughs> yeah. is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like the connection to the military at this point now seems like it's just like they were a convenient source for having access to a lot of alchemical power or man- people or whatever like it's mm-hmm. not exactly mm-hmm. clear what the benefit is i guess yeah or it does seem like it's involved. a recent deliberate thing though if they created uh wrath to become the viewer i mean mm-hmm. 60 years ago yeah i guess mm-hmm. they were like let's get yeah. into the but that's a still kind of a long game but i yeah. guess we don't know how old the father is at this point yeah so. mm-hmm. yeah so yeah they're in position for this final plan i guess but what exactly is the plan? We don't know. Mm-hmm. Hughes might have known, but he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Do you really think that he knew that? Like, he probably knew something, but probably not that. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's no way he could have known that. What was the actual information that he found? He made a comment about it. What chapter was that in? Yeah, because then they leave. Okay, wait. No, it's probably three then. Wow. Well, the beginning of yeah, four Yeah, because they leave to go to their teacher, yeah. like, right before. And then he dies. He dies, yeah. The same... It's like the same chapter. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, we'll have to go say hi to him when we come right. back. And everyone cries. Yeah, because they're oh. like, he's already dead. Yeah. <laughs> okay, here's the phone booth where he was murdered. Hold on. Here's the funeral. Here's the pie on the train. <laughs> now he's dead. Okay. <laughs> like, it's even, it's even horrible in reverse. <laughs> okay, here's lust in the library. <laughs> Okay, he found... <laughs> the steel pipe. Yeah, pretty much. No, she doesn't need a steel pipe. She's the ultimate spear. <laughs> blah, 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 blah. So he's there, he's talking to the other guy in the military, and he says, look look at the death toll. The East has been full of trouble, blah, blah, blah. It's not just the East. The North and West have been having their share of border, riot, border skirmishes. Who knows? Could this all be the start of a revolution? Hughes suddenly drops the newspaper, and then he goes to check some old files. In the library, he says, the Ishvalan Civil War, the riots in Lior, and, hey, hey, what have we here? Who the hell would think of something like this? While staring at a book and at what looks like a folded map, I need to tell the major and the Fuhrer president about this right away. And then Lust enters the library. So it's not clear. He didn't really say. No. 
I thought he said something, made a comment, but. He tells Roy the military is in danger. Oh, yeah. Hold on, wait. Uh, yeah, what does he say on the phone? Or something about that. <laughs> oh, he said to the operator, hurry, the military is in grave danger. He didn't even get to talk to Hughes, remember? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. No, Hughes. Now he's dead again. <laughs> okay, never mind. I thought he said something about it, but. We just took a trip down sad memory lane for nothing. <laughs> so, I don't know. He might have known something, but I'd, he couldn't have known everything. Plus, he said, I need to tell the Fuhrer about this. So, he definitely didn't know about the Fuhrer. Yeah. But maybe he knew about something he knew else. Some, he knew something that made them want to kill him, but probably not, <laughs> probably not the uh, details of the plan. <laughs> I wonder how, what they even wanted to kill him for. I guess they just don't keep him around because they don't think he's a worthy human sacrifice. Because Ed and Al have a lot of knowledge, but they keep them around. Mm -hmm. Right? It's like, you know too so. much and you're not personally useful to me. So. <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, that kind of yeah. seems like their deal right now. <laughs> I don't know. They don't seem to know that Roy knows stuff, which is good for him because he oh, would yeah. be dead. So mm -hmm. I thought it was really interesting how in the scene where the father raises the toast at the end, the homunculi actually seem happy where he's like, oh, thank you for ser serving me. A toast mm -hmm. to my children who serve me, you know, absolutely or whatever. And they actually seem to like want his praise and like his praise. Yeah. Um, I feel like we've seen them to be sort of like emotionless or, you know, cold or whatever, kind of mm -hmm. callous at this point. But I just thought that was a little interesting tidbit. Mm -hmm. I don't know that it has a lot to do with the story, but it was just intriguing. Yeah. I've forgotten you over there looking confused. <laughs> He's like, <laughs> I want to drink too. Yeah. yeah really? He's like, can I eat that? Yeah, pretty much. So basically, they're all horcruxes. That's what I'm hearing. <laughs> mm -hmm. They're all made from. He says, the father says to Greed, like, return to my soul that you were created from or whatever, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So it seems, it implies that they're all sort of made from the father's soul in some way, I guess. Mm -hmm. So I stand by what I said about them being more crosses. <laughs> so one of them's a snake. One a snake. of them's a diary. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> one of them one is a diadem. Yes. Well, no, I was trying to remember if, if the actual Philosopher's Stone was one of them, but I don't think it was. That's that wasn't that one of the Deathly Hollows. Yeah, the, yeah, the Philosopher's Stone is one of the, the Deathly, Deathly Hollows. Yeah, the stone okay, that yeah. the stone that the Resurrection Stone. Yeah. The only one, also, all of them were objects, so they're not really Horcruxes, I guess. <laughs> These seem to be living beings. Nagini wasn't an object. Uh, yeah, you're right about that. <laughs> Harry Potter wasn't an object. Yeah. Yeah, I'm more affected on the snake's behalf. <laughs> <laughs> well, Nagini was also a person if you follow the, the literature, right? Oh, yeah. Yes, I've heard this. <laughs> oh, you never saw Fantastic Beasts? I saw the first of, one. I didn't see the second one. I'm kind of confused. But I heard about, people being mad about it. So I'm kind of confused about how she got from being a person to a snake because I've only seen both of them like one time. But, you know, it's fine. It was actually seven Horcruxes, wasn't it? It's it was. Out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's a whole seven thing. This is also yeah. a weird Christian thing. There's seven mm -hmm. deadly sins. There's also like seven like virtues or something i can't remember what's called there's like the opposite of the seven deadly yeah. sins seven like heavenly virtues or something. yeah something like that mm -hmm. um there's a lot of like there's jesus said seven things while on the cross mm. yeah seven Apparently. is a powerful number in, in a lot of mythology but it's pretty common in christian, christian mythology mm -hmm. yeah but i mean i think i don't i don't know i mean harry potter actually probably has a similar vibe to fma because you have the whole genocide situation actually mm -hmm. so yeah people used to do crossovers with them a lot just like mostly based on the philosopher's stone yes that's <laughs> true commonality but um, like there's there's some common themes yeah mm -hmm. i don't think christianity plays as much of a role in harry potter or like that christian mm -hmm. imagery isn't definitely used as much in harry potter but mm -hmm. 
I think that's probably purposeful. I think JKR would take way more flack than Arakawa for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think also, isn't uh, she more trained in like, because yeah, yeah, I think she's more classically trained. So I think she has a lot more of uh, classical Greek and, and Roman oh, maybe. Uh, influences in her. In, in that's Harry why Potter. everything's in bad Latin. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and everybody's names are Greek. <laughs> yeah, we're bad Latin. <laughs> It's version for children. <laughs> I always remember being really frustrated because my mom would be like, well, his name is Lupin, so he's obviously a werewolf. I'd be like, what? What? <laughs> anyway. I remember feeling clever because I knew the Remus reference at that age. You probably mm. did. <laughs> I think it's interesting that lust is described as being the ultimate spear. Greed is the ultimate shield. Wrath had the ultimate eye. So I guess they all have their kind of like superpower thing. Mm -hmm. I feel like the spear and the shield is like also some kind of imagery that I don't know and haven't looked up yet. Mm -hmm. There's something about it that like yeah. feels. Uh, well, there's like very... the classic myth of the like spear that can pierce anything and the shield that can like, mm -hmm. defend against anything. Mm -hmm. You know what happens? You know, unstoppable force, unmovable object. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But that comes from like some kind of classic myth that I can't remember. The paradox of the spear and the shield. Yeah. <laughs> A Chinese philosophical book in the story. A man was trying to sh sell a spear and a shield. When asked how good the spear was, he said the spear could piece anything and pierce any shield. And then when asked how good the shield was, he said that it could defend from all spear attacks. The person asked him what would happen if he were to take a, take the spear and strike the shield. That's how he couldn't answer. Mm -hmm. So the idiom, there's a four-character idiom that means self-contradictory. From, from each other, spear and shield. Um, I think we talked about how uh, around these chapters is when the original anime deviates from the manga. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think it's definitely before the the last chapter that we read. Because sloth in the anime is nothing like the sloth that yeah, we've seen. Sloth, sloth, wrath, and pride are all very different. Hmm. Hmm. So uh, I think they probably... The in the anime? Or just different? Separate? He is not the fear in the okay. other anime. Yeah, um, I don't remember. Yeah, I do Obviously. think um like the general like concept of this was in the original anime, like that they meet up with greed in this like devil's nest thing, and I know Martel's in there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think like, at that point they were probably basing it off of like Arakawa's notes rather than published mm -hmm. stuff or like what they had heard from Arakawa at that point, rather than like directly following the manga. Yeah. Yeah, there's no way that could be if they're not. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> this seems like a. Yeah. Seems like a big deal. Yeah. But one of the things that I want to get into later is because I, the one thing that I found that I kind of liked maybe more in the original anime is the homunculus and sort of their whole deal. Um, that also differs. And later when I can talk about it more, I do want to talk about sort of the differences and, and, mm -hmm. and sort of... I think that is the strength of that's, the 2003 anime. Yeah, I'd say that's the one like concept that I find interesting, but I still find their like execution kind of lackluster. Yeah. In the end of it, but I did find that concept interesting mm -hmm. in the 2003 anime. Yeah. Just Possibly. talking vaguely over Ellen's head. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not mad about it. <laughs> <laughs> I like I remember going like when I'm in the like final episodes like where that stuff starts to get revealed, which is like 
the ending of it is like a slog if you're not into it for me anyway so i got to like that point i'm like ooh, and then like it kept going i'm like oh no <laughs> i've technically seen it i just don't remember anything about that part yeah Cosm, are you gonna write your fanfic or what well that was the other thing i was gonna talk about today okay um That's so what you're i talk about <laughs> i think yeah i think i mentioned before that it came out from a misunderstanding of one of the descriptions that they had okay and that was with greed's power okay um so they talked about like the using the different carbon atoms in a different way yeah. and that's how he sort of made the shield and um at the time i was in i think chemistry or something and i was learning about the different isotopes of of an atom mm -hmm. so you know carbon is uh element six mm -hmm. so it has six protons but the number of neutrons can differ and that changes the properties a little bit and i think mostly that is just how radioactive it is but um at the time i didn't fully understand that and so i thought that what greed was doing was changing the isotopes of the carbon to make it a harder type of carbon or something like that mm -hmm. and so then i got thinking well if you can do that then what's stopping you from breaking that carbon and turning it into you know three different uh heliums or something like that and using alchemy to sort of take just the raw protons and neutrons and electrons and rearrange them into whatever you want because hmm. then you can take just the air something that you know that, that's pretty consistent you've got oxygen which is eight and like um carbon is six so you can sort of do the math and, and sort of create almost anything if you get in the habit of just taking the air and, and literally transmuting something out of thin air. Mm -hmm. So um, that's the basic premise of what what was going to happen was, you know, sort of Ed going on his adventures, exploring someplace, finds someone with a philosopher's stone. And he sees him doing this, this transmutation. And he's like, well, you've got a philosopher's stone. That's made out of living people. I know that. I'll kick your ass. <laughs> and he turns it into carbon. <laughs> <laughs> well um and so you know he eventually comes to terms with the guy and the guy teaches ed how it works and what it is and it turns out that the stone is a fake he just uses it as a distraction because he doesn't want people to find out what's really happening so it's like oh i could just pretend like i have a philosopher's stone but he can turn stuff into other stuff by breaking apart the molecules yeah and that was the biggest part of it I hadn't gotten much further than like what would happen with the, yes. but but that would be an, at least how it started. It's kind of an interesting idea because like it seems like you can you do that. I don't know. I mean, uh, with d does alchemy have what it takes? I guess to break that that nuclear bond. Because I think what he's saying is they're carbon atoms that are restructured. So like yeah, that's that's more what organic chemistry yeah. and not what I thought. I it kind was. of feel like it's like. If you had the philosopher's stone, you could do that. Like, I feel like it would just require, like, it requires a ton of energy, energy. to break mm -hmm. to break apart atoms like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that is why. Well, so actually, one of the things that they'll get into is the source of alchemy. There's there's a power powering the alchemy. It's mm -hmm. sort of like a catalyst. And so, um, my thought was, you could use like nuclear fission. You break apart the 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 molecules, and bam, you've got a ton of energy right there that you can use mm. to. Um, power that alchemy and keep going so maybe some of that energy is lost as you break apart those molecules 
Um, and I think, I don't know. Like if you're breaking it apart, it. it can be released. But yeah. I think to combine it into something new, I guess you would need a lot of energy, which I guess Possibly. would be you need the philosopher's stone for that. Maybe. Yeah. Or are you so saying that nuclear fission, nuclear fusion, is alchemy? I don't know. <laughs> that is for the my fan, <laughs> my adoring fans to finish for me. <laughs> That's right. Because <laughs> you're not writing it; it's a plot idea for adoption. I understand. Yes. <laughs> It's intriguing. But yeah, I think he's specifically talking about restructuring the carbon. Yeah. And it's like Roy using the the oxygen in the air. Like, mm -hmm. you know, for for example. Yeah. Like, it seems like you... What we've seen, at least, is that you couldn't do that. But maybe you could with the Philosopher's Stone. Yeah, possibly. Or break it apart. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It's magic! <laughs> <laughs> magic with rules. Mm -hmm. Lots of rules, it turns out. Yeah, but the, I guess so with the philosopher's stone, there's an implication that there's even more beyond just like the atoms in the universe, right? Mm. Anyway, good. <laughs> well, that was a lot of things that happened this time on Fulminal Alchemist, was. wasn't it? Mm -hmm. <laughs> what a lot more of things that happened on our podcast? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. unfortunately, I hope everyone enjoyed it. Merry Christmas! Enjoy your presents. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Enjoy uh, amateur. Uh, Religious oh philosophy God. hour. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing makes sense. I'm still waiting for someone who understands uh, who understands Kabbalah to explain it to me. <laughs> no takers? <laughs> yeah, so next week we... No episodes coming out. We're taking a little winter break, but just for one, one week because, you know, whatever. Because we're bored. Yeah. Because <laughs> we want to play video games and we need a break. Yes. I mean... And we need a break from our hobby to do have another hobbies. hobby. <laughs> Normally, this would be the time of year we'd be. I would be certainly traveling to visit people, but that's not happening. So, yeah, whatever. It's fine. It's just because because we can do what we want. It's our fucking podcast. We can take a break if we want. <laughs> anyway, take a break in any month. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we need to wait to release this episode till Easter, like I said yeah. before. <laughs> <laughs> All right, good. Yeah. But yeah, so um, nothing next week. Uh, but the week after that, we're going to read chapters thirty-two and thirty-three. Woo! Oh. You're back to two. How luxurious. Yeah. Temporarily. <laughs> so yeah, thank you all for listening. Uh, we will see you next next week. Yeah, next next week. Yes. Bye. Bye. I'll miss Bye. you. <laughs> I'll miss you too, Cossum. <laughs> I wasn't talking to you! <laughs>
in the series at least you know probably because i can get a boa constrictor yeah. <laughs> yeah it always bugged me that she's obviously a constrictor <laughs> but she like kills by striking mm-hmm. well she got fangs in the later series <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're like i have problems with the like do you complain <laughs> about like the pokemon biology too <laughs> <laughs> Like, every Pokemon lays eggs, but this one's clearly a mammal. <laughs> uh, Pokemon's in its own thing. They have their own Pokemon biology. They're all, like, the same species the with one. just different things, yeah. But Nagini's just supposed to be a snake. <laughs> Wait, so Pokemon are all the same species, but they're all different, like, geni, geni or whatever? Genesis is? Is that what you're saying? Wait, no. I mean, they can all they're breed. All the same species. <laughs> they're, like, they're, like, uh, they're like dogs, is what you're saying. <laughs> So they're like dog breeds. They're all breeds of the same species. Is that true? Aren't there different like different groups of species? Can you not? Well, they just can breed. breed any? Yeah, there's like all egg, of them, I think. It's oh, like egg groups, egg but groups. all of them can all of them can breed with ditto. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and they're like all supposed to be like descended from you they're aliens genetically. Oh yeah, that's right. They are descended so, from you genetically. Yeah. Isn't it true that they're aliens? Because Mew's like an alien, right? You came from Spes. Um, no. Clefairy came from space. Oh, wait! How can Clefairy have been in space if it's descended? From <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it was born and this... then it went to space and then came back. Yeah. This is why I can't read the Christian uh, like stuff on Wikipedia either. <laughs> Stop <laughs> asking questions. Lore is just as complicated. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Well, you got like you got like Arceus that's like Pokemon God. But then you got like Mew, which is like the descendant of all Pokemon. Does that make does that make Mew the Jesus, Jesus. Of the Pokemon world? <laughs> so what does that make Mew too? Arceus is like my son, whom I gave part of my soul. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mew too is a clone of Mew. Yeah. So does that mean you can have a clone of Jesus? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Mew too is like the Joseph Smith. That's my B movie, Clone Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that's already been done, but yeah. Oh, Jesus. Do you smell ozone? I still smell ozone. <laughs> also, before I close this Wikipedia page, apparently someone named Herpo the Fowl <laughs> made her Crixes. Mm-hmm. I've seen that too. This is why I don't read any of the Harry Potter like <laughs> canon outside of the books. Oh, he looks like a Neopets character. How? In- <laughs> Send a photo or send the link. <laughs> he straight up looks like Neopets clip art from like a, one of the games or something. I believe you. I'm really excited. <laughs> oh, he does. <laughs> look at his little snake staff. He doesn't look that foul. I think he needs to have a more Jafar esque face. Yeah, he, he looks mildly irritated. Look. <laughs> yeah. Herpo the mildly irritated. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and also, I mean, if you're reading into the Harry Potter angle, the power of love can do a lot for you. I think. So. <laughs> One might say Harry's mother died for his sins. <laughs> for Harry's sins? For other sins? I don't know, his future sins. For his future sins. He did meet his parents as a ghost, so <laughs> he did he did die. Actually, I think, I think in this case, Harry is the sacrifice, so Harry would be yeah. Jesus. He's mm-hmm. resurrected, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then Voldemort, in this case, <laughs> Voldemort is the father. Because, well, no. <laughs> You're like, okay, right, t- time to calm down. <laughs> You're like, just, you know, go have a sip of your tea. 
<laughs> I felt left out. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to fit in. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe someday I'll fit in. <laughs>